final message, week six. We've had a, a, a break in the middle because of the community service. But this is the final message of six on the blessed life. And this morning, we're speaking about the principles or power of multiplication. And I'm going to take you to a very, very well-known uh, story, true story in the Bible. And uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 10 to 17. Luke 9 verses 10 to 17. And uh, the words will be on the screen. Uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to read uh, the passage. I'm going to then make some comments and then we're going to come back to this passage, which I say many of you will recognize as we read it. But it says these words from the New International Version. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed Jesus. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those that needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the teacher came, uh, the 12 came to him and said, uh, Jesus, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because where we are is a remote place. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all the crowd. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And when he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the, and then he gave to, to them to the disciples to distribute to the people, they were, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. A great, wonderful story of Jesus in the Gospels. So over these last few weeks, we've sought to reference the inspiration of this service, Pastor Robert Morris. On occasions, we've used one or two video clips. And uh, we've sought to apply this to the journey of Arena Church. Christian mentioned last week the thought of balance. And it sort of captured my attention to write a little bit in weekly news about that. Balance is so important. Donald G who was one of the great leaders of the Assemblies of God, Pastor Collingwood Nine, was known as the Apostle of Balance. And as I tried to communicate in the writing, balance is not mediocrity. Balance is, is uh, not something that pulls back on the fullness of God, but it's essential to make life work. We've sought to communicate with balance. We've sought to do it without coercion, desperation, or manipulation, and I've trust that you've caught the spirit and heart of Arena Church because we never want to minister in those negative expressions of the word. But the reality is this, that the primary source of the blessed life is inextricably linked to the giving life. If you want to be blessed, then you need to position yourself for blessing. And the best way to position yourself for blessing is to be a giver, not just financially, of course, but in every area of our lives. But 
as Christian and myself have journeyed through this ministry and at times drawn Pastor Morris in, we've been reminded that there's a financial challenge and consequence to our giving. Tithes, offerings, special offerings. Andy mentioned that the tithe was given several hundred of years, first recorded in the scriptures by Abraham to Melchizedek before the law. So we've had all this stuff about it's in the law. Let me tell you, tithing is not by legislation, it's by revelation. When God touches your heart and you realize what belongs to him, it's his. That's just the starting point to the generous life. So we've looked at the heart because out of the heart come the issues of life. We've looked at the test, and sometimes we think the test will go away, but often the test comes to us again and again, and we need to ask God to give us grace to pass it. We looked at the first, what is the Lord's? We asked the question from John 12, am I generous, in response to Mary's wonderful expression of generosity as she poured A year's wages of perfume over the feet of Jesus in extravagant giving. Christian confronted the challenge last week of money and mammon. And we were reminded of the impossibility of serving, yielding, giving to two masters. Lordship simply means that, that Jesus is the master of our lives. And so today, the principle of multiplication. Now, I like addition. But I like multiplication. Five plus five is ten. But five times five is twenty-five. Five plus five plus five is fifteen. But five times five times five is a hundred and twenty-five. You can see the difference. And in the scriptures, when the Holy Spirit poured himself out into the earth as an expression of Jesus being returned to the Father's right hand in glory and having achieved and accomplished the mission of salvation, the Spirit of God shed forth in the earth. Acts 2, 30, 38. Then, then, uh, then we realize the Spirit of God was at work and still is. Initially, it was by addition because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 there were 120 people in what was called the upper room. And Jesus had said to them, wait in the city until you are endued with power. And they did. And then after they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter and the eleven stood up because people were saying, what is this? And they brought an incredible gospel message. 120 became 3,120 because the Bible records for us that in response to that message, 3,000 people became saved And it goes on to say we're baptised. And as Andy said, July 3, if you've never been baptised and God has touched your heart, as he most assuredly will, if you want to be a devoted follower of Jesus, it's the next step, then please hand your name in. But now we get to Acts chapter 6 and things are moving on. Remember that God, the Holy Spirit, used Dr. Luke to write the Acts of the Apostles. He took a forensic approach to life. He was interested in detail. He liked numbers. But by the time we got to Acts uh, chapter 6, it wasn't addition, it was multiplication. Because it says in verse 1, and the crowds multiplied. In other words, it's I've lost count. I can't cope with this move of God's. It's multiplication. 
And I want to tell you, friends, that we are living in such a needy day that we need local churches that won't only be satisfied with additions, but multiplications. That we will so position ourselves to be blessed that it will be utterly supernatural of God in terms of what God does. And we really want to believe for all of that. So let me take you back to what is commonly known as the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Those of you that came to Arena Bible training school last year will know that three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as what we call the Synoptic Gospels. They're very closely related. Uh, The Spirit of God has used material across the three of them to be almost in parallel at times to describe some of the things that Jesus did. John sits uh, not aloof or alone, but certainly different. And yet here we have the miracle of Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded regarding the 5,000, also recorded in John's gospel. For me, I think that our ears need to be pricking up when the Spirit of God takes hold of something that Jesus does and says, actually, I'm going to put it in every one of the gospel books. So if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to read of this incident four times. Now, There's little bits of detail that are added to the whole of the picture, which I'll try and fill in. Sometimes people say to me, you see, that proves the Bible's not inspired of God. I mean, there's there's differences, mate, there's differences. Well, for me, friends, that proves it is inspired by the word of God. So let me illustrate it. We're sort of outside uh, and maybe crossing the lights at Tesco. This is not a prophecy, by the way, it's an illustration. But we're crossing the lights... Some, some guy breaks, the guy behind him doesn't see that the red's on, right in the back. And the guy jumps out and, you know, as everybody does when these things happen, here, I'm terribly sorry that things happen. But, but <laughs> you know, <clears throat> normally there's a few expletives. What you? But he looks for help in saying, you know, Mate, did you see that? Yeah, yeah, if you want to write my name down. And the police arrive. The police arrive. So they talk to Julie. They talk to jo- Josh. And, and they talk to Amy. And say, you saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it'd be weird if Josh, Julie, and Amy all said exactly the same thing. What happens is they give a picture. And the police officer builds the picture, submits his report. Maybe a prosecution involved without driving, without due care and attention. Blah, blah, blah. And all of that. That's exactly what happened with the Spirit of God, friends. He's not pushing against inspiration. He's proving the power of inspiration. That the Spirit of God takes hold of people and then gives us the complete story of what took place. So, he says first off, and I'm just going to run through a few things just to lay it into us this morning. Because four times mentioned, it's important. The disciples return. They return from what? Well, they've been on a missions tour. And uh, they've returned and they wanted to spend some time with Jesus. And so they found a lonely place to be with him. And no doubt began to speak. Says, you know, Jesus, you know when you gave us authority to pray for the sick? We, we pressed out. There was a gulp in my stomach. I, I didn't think anything was going to happen. But that lady got healed. 
And, th- and then we went into this town and there was somebody uh, troubled by the powers of darkness. And you know when you said to us that you give us authority over the powers of darkness, we stepped in and we prayed for them. And they were completely set free. You can imagine the stories. Jesus said, well, what did I tell you? When you live with kingdom authority, things begin to happen. So they begin to share these things. But the Bible says that the crowd heard where Jesus was. And they ran after him. And there's this amazing phrase in verse 11 of our reading. It says, Jesus welcomed them. What a saviour we serve. Most of us would say, tell them to clear off. We want some time on our own. Don't they get it? But he welcomed them. And he says that he preached the kingdom of God and he ministered to people that were sick that needed healing, which is an expression of the kingdom of God. Amazing. And then it gets to late afternoon. Late afternoon. Now, there's a clock on me, and there might have been a clock on Jesus, but he weren't taking any notice of it because it got to late afternoon and he was still going. And it says that the people were getting hungry. Let me just part there for a moment. When I got married 37 years ago, Sharon's mum said to me, she's now with Jesus, she said three things for a happy life. Who knows, guys? Happy wife, happy life. You know. And uh, she says, uh, make sure she has plenty of sleep, she stays warm, and uh, she's well fed, you know. Because... I can miss a meal, but oh, flipping heck. Yeah. <laughs> so when we used to go on holiday with Alison and Miriam when they were kids, <clears throat> we lived in Oxford for a time, we used to go to Boscombe on holiday, you know, just on the edge of Bournemouth. 90, about 98 mile, blokish thing, we're going to do this in one go, come on, you know, one go. Down the A38, cross the M21, it's not going to take us any time. But as we sort of like approached Cheveley services at Reading, you could feel the tension rising in the car. Because like uh, mother, like daughter, the other two are as bad as Sharon. (laughs) (sighs) And guys, it's not worth the battle. It really isn't, you know. It really isn't. I'm such a wonderful husband and father. (laughs) That we'd pull over and then I'd spend the next 30 minutes thinking about all those cars I'd passed that were now going. (laughs) Because they were hungry. They were hungry. You imagine this crowd. It's late afternoon. They'd all chased after Jesus without thinking about bringing their umbrellas because we're going to have a day like yesterday. Packing a lunch. They were just passionate about getting near Jesus. And so... They were hungry. In Matthew 14, 28, one of the parallel passages, it says the 5,000 were men besides women and children. And in Jewish culture, sorry to say this, they would normally count just the men. So Bible commentators have come to the opinion that there was probably 20,000 plus people in this crowd Late afternoon, the preacher's going on and everybody's hungry. It's a recipe for disaster. And the disciples got it. Because they sort of went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, you got a minute. You know. 
can you get Andy on to do the notices? We need a word, you know. <laughs> That's Andy the disciple, not this Andy. <laughs> Said, Lord, can you send this crowd away? I mean, we didn't want him here in the first place, remember. We just wanted to talk to you about our missions trip. They've, they've, they've muscled in, they've gate crashed. You've preached the kingdom all day. You've healed people. Can you just tell them to go now? Find lodgings, find digs, find board, go home. Tell them to clear off. And Jesus said this. He says, you give them something to eat. Amidst the humor, friends, there are churches today that are so obsessed with their bless me club that Jesus is saying to them, you give them something to eat and they're taking no notice at all because all they want to do is be with Jesus I want to tell you friends when you're with Jesus you want to change the world when you're truly with Jesus you want to make a difference in the world you give them something to eat so Andy comes back to the disciples and says well a word with Jesus you know it was a great idea guys but he said we've got to give them something to eat oh So, the only reference to the little boy is in John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 9. This young little boy, his mum had sent him prepared five loaves and two fishes. In less, in more innocent days, when we were kids, because I'm old, as you know, you know, we'd have some sandwiches and a bottle of water, or if we got really lucky, a bottle of lemonade, we'd go off for the day, and... That was it, you know, there was, there was no health and safety, you know, don't climb up that tree, we're going to climb up it anyway, you know, don't play with that cricket ball, we're going to play, you know. Uh, it was just a more innocent day, I understand that things have changed. But this little boy comes with his packed lunch, and the disciples say, well, at least it's something. At least it's something. So Jesus, um, clock, the clock's still going down, the people are getting hungry. Uh, the Sharon, Miriam and Alison amongst the crowds, you know, and it's, you know, and so Jesus said, well, time to sit down in groups of 50. Well, what does that mean? I don't know, but anyway, let, let's do it, guys. So they sat down in groups of 50 and then they gave the offering to Jesus. It wasn't a monetary offering, but it was a true offering of five loaves and two fishes it says, Jesus looked up to heaven. He invoked the Father's blessing. He broke it and he distributed it. Everybody was satisfied. That's Jesus, friends. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And there were 12 baskets left over. Now, if you ask me at the door why the 12 baskets were left over, I really, I'm not sure. So, one or two Bible commentators have suggested that God was so good to the disciples for obeying that he said to them, there's a basket each for you to take home. I don't know. <laughs> We've also had Bible commentators phrase, uh, friends, with their liberal persuasion, try and take away from this miracle. Oh, well, Jesus didn't really bless the food. He just sort of stirred people to start sharing. That's nonsense. Nothing in the stories, give any indication that the people were prepared for eating. Now, I believe, friends, call it innocence, call it naivety, that the amazing Son of God took hold of the little and he made it a lot. That's multiplication. 
And he spared it out unto the people and they were blessed in an amazing way. Now, two things about this before we bring it to a conclusion. Number one, the offering, the five loaves and two fishes, apply it to yourself this morning, the tithe, the offering, the gift offering. The offering had to be blessed before it could be multiplied. And whilst the disciples were desperate in the situation, because we've all read this with hindsight, you know, well, we knew Jesus was going to come through and do a miracle. I've tried to read it this morning by placing us into the situation. What if the disciples, friends, had got all of those five loaves and two fish and said, well, we're okay. You know, it wouldn't have been blessed. If they'd have withheld, or if we can use the language that's been occasionally articulated strongly in this series, if they'd have robbed, it wouldn't have been blessed. And what if they tried to distribute the five loaves and and two fishes without, first of all, bringing it to Jesus? Again, friends, it would have sunk without trace. It wouldn't have been blessed. But that that seems so little they brought. They brought it as the first. They passed the test because it revealed the desire of their heart. And Jesus took hold of it and multiplied it. Secondly, if the offering, the five loaves and the two fishes had been given away before it had been blessed, it could not have been multiplied. The young boy Gave away all of his lunch. He could have said, mine, 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 mine. But he gave it all away. The disciples could have taken it to themselves. But they gave it all away to someone that could do far more with it than we could. And his name's Jesus. And all I would ask you to do today as we conclude this series is to say, what is the all that God wants me to give to him? Pastor Morris has shared some stories about literally it being the all for him on occasions. With balance, he's not asked everybody to do that. But as God speaks to his friends, as God digs deep, let's not withhold anything from the Lord that is his. And then, as we stop trying to work out how it's all going to work out, as we stop bringing our natural Western logical minds to the situation, why don't we believe that as we give away all to God that is rightfully is, he will bring multiplication. Jesus did the miracle. Everyone ate and was satisfied. And because God's so amazing, as we've already said, there were some leftovers. Now I'm going to close. I'm going to close, friends, with absolutely no reference to anything that's been said by anyone else in the series. But just something that God laid on my heart with regard to us together and the challenge of Arena Church in this season. You see, for me, how does multiplication best work? How can God find fertile soil not only to add 
Five plus five plus five, 15. But to multiply and make those three fives 125 instead of 15. How can God in these days, friends, give us supernatural multiplication? And for me, it comes out of the power of synergy. It's another word for unity. It means the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and 30, it says this. And this verse defies all logic, but it's true. One shall chase a thousand, but two shall chase... Oh, it's two thousand. No. One shall chase a thousand, but two shall chase... 10,000. Well, how does that work? I don't know, but it's God. It's God. And as we close this series, friends, I just thought this. You know, if we can find a synergy of giving, where we are giving from our hearts, we are passing the test, we are making him the first, we are being generous, and we're serving him as master Together, we create an incredible opportunity for the Lord Almighty to step into Arena Church and give us multiplication. See, synergy has worked in so many ways. In 1953, it was the year of our Queen's coronation, and Andy has very appropriately and aptly honoured Her Majesty this morning. And uh, we just thank God for her. But in that same year, Edmund Hillary scaled Everest, 29,000 and a few hundred feet. And of course, lots of people are doing it now and actually sort of hurting the environment up there. But then it seemed impossible. Then people had died to do it. And whilst there was a great team, there was an incredible synergy because you'll notice that the celebratory photo on the summit of Everest wasn't to Edmund Hillary, it was Sherpa Tenzin. He's, He's... his, uh, his loyal lieutenant that knew the mountains uh, so well. Uh, the, the, the Nepalese uh, 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 expression of that synergy. Here's the truth. Here's the humility of Hillary. Tenzin didn't know how to work the camera. Mine, mine, mine. It was my idea. Okay, I'll take a photo of you and then we'll go down. Synergy. Tiger Woods. 14 majors. Of course he was going to break Jack Nicholas's record. 18 majors. He was going to run riot through it. But here he is stuck on 14. And it seems very unlikely now, friends, that he's going to beat that record. He might win one more. But it's unlikely he's going to win five more. Now we know that he's had health issues and other challenges in his life. Which are not for me to articulate from a platform. But he lost his synergy. Because when he was running right, he had New Zealander Steve Williams on the back. They were unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. Sadly, they fell out. They both wrote books about each other. But they lost something that brought a multiplicity of achievement in that sport. We could go on. And I believe, friends, with all my heart, that God's not only given us a unity in Arena Church, he's given us a synergy. He's given us a like-mindedness that binds different people together, different jobs, different professions, different expressions of life, different family situations, and we become one. So that when we hear the challenge of Jesus, you go and feed them, which we've tried to respond to all those years ago, 
And you know the story now. It started with that splinter-infested pallet at the front of the church where people bought a few bags from Tesco across the road because we'd heard Jesus say, yeah, I'm interested in the supernatural, but I want to meet people's natural needs as well. You go and feed them. And I still have the privilege of people dropping into Arena Church. I had it the other week with a couple that came up from Northampton talking about other things. I said, would you like to pop into the community uh, hub? Yeah, yeah, we'd love to. Passionate about reaching lost people. Well, the time Lisa's finished with 15 minutes, they just, they go, you know, you know boom. You know. It's just that woman's got some fire, hasn't she? I said, you better believe it. You know. A multiplicity, for, it's a miracle, friends. I know we like talking about miracles in South Korea and Brazil, but right on the doorstep of our church, God has done a miracle. God has done a miracle. He's not done it by addition. He's done it by multiplication. And the reality is this, friends, that the need is still great. Young people that need connecting with. Uh, More communities that need the gospel to reach out to them. More finance, more resource, more workers. So, Phil, it seems impossible. Yeah, it was impossible in that day. It seems so overwhelming. 20,000 hungry people, five loaves, two fishes. How are we going to do it? When we give it all to Jesus. With a synergy of heart that says, Lord, we're absolutely one in this. The only master that we want to serve is you. And the only person that we want to give to is you. And then just perhaps, friends, Jesus say, you know what? I like Arena Church. I like what they've created. I like their spirit. I like their oneness. I like their faith. I like their sacrifice. Yeah. And I like the fact that they've heard me say, you go and feed them. And I want to help. And the God of heaven says, I realize this is not just going to be done by additions. There's no way. The need's too great, friends. Even just up the M1 corridor, the need's too great. Never mind going left and right of this and thinking about the nations of the earth. We live in challenging days where the need is great. But all that Jesus could find a local church that understands what the blessed life truly is, finds a synergy of heart in their giving to the Lord. He says, you know what? I'm going to multiply. One shall chase a thousand, and two shall chase ten thousands. And then, not only will we come to the conclusion of the fact that hundreds, and if I can say it without any sense of exaggeration, Thousands of people will be touched by kingdom life. We will know of a conviction together that we truly are living the blessed life. Let's pray.